Welcome to the Big Mike Fund Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Big Mike has got the life starting now. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike, Mike Zlatnik. Today it is my pleasure and a privilege to welcome Gabe De Silva. Hi, Gabe. Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good, man. Beautiful Tuesday here in New Jersey, so can't complain. That's right. The weather is getting a whole lot better here in the uh, Northeast, and I'm right over the Hudson River here in New York, so... Mm-hmm. That's great. Uh, Gabe, could you tell us a little bit about your family and just I'll do a short intro. Gabe is a um, founder and president of the Silva uh, Group Inc. is a serial entrepreneur with humble roots, second generation um, uh, builder, and originally, I guess, from uh, Portugal. And um, he's a developer, uh, heavy value projects uh, here in, uh, I guess, New Jersey. And uh, tell us a little bit about you, your family, uh, as I like to correct the jokes, wife, kids, cats, dogs, whatever works for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, like you alluded to, I'm a second generation builder, uh, took up the craft, um, kind of following in my dad's footsteps, uh, just took a different approach to what it is that he'd been doing for many years. Uh, we are more process and systems oriented, more about scale, less about doing everything with your own funds and more about using OPM. And, um, and we went from single family cosmetic rehabs to add levels and additions to new constructions. And now we're applying that same uh, core skill set to commercial assets. But um, the origin story is that I am a serial entrepreneur. Uh, just this February was my decade-long anniversary in the world of entrepreneurship. Congratulations. Um, thank you. That is, uh, I mean, 1% of entrepreneurs make it 10 years, right? So uh, that's a blessing, and I'm super thankful for that opportunity to have been able to do what it is that I want to do um, for this long. And at first, that was food. My foray into entrepreneurship started first with food. Uh, so I owned and operated a restaurant for a few years, ultimately sold that to a partner and transitioned into real estate, which is what I had been um, entrenched in as a child, right? Growing up around the kitchen table, looking over my dad's shoulder as he reviewed blueprints and crafted proposals and bids and all those things. um, Subconsciously, you're picking so much of that up as a kid, you don't even realize it. And uh, after the food service stint, transitioning into real estate just felt so much more natural, just the lexicon and just everything about it. I'm blessed to speak the language, right? So I've got Portuguese and Spanish kind of in my back pocket. And those things are critical um, as you scale a operations business, a real estate um, fix and flip operation. Um, And so, yeah, I'm a single guy. I'm turning 40 this year and uh, focused on faith, family, um, fitness, finances, and freedom. Those are my five buckets. I mean, we can unpack as much or as little of that as you care to, but um, that's kind of how I structure my life. That's great. I like uh, you have a few uh, family, fitness, freedom, right? That's that's great. That's really yeah. important. So let, let's shift into a little bit more into dive um, into uh, what are you building today? Give us an idea of some of the projects you're working on today. Commercial mm-hmm. or multifamily, yeah, so, whatever, whatever, whatever you're working on. Yeah. 
Well, if you go back, like to piggyback off the origin story, we started, my first project was a cosmetic rehab turned gut reno, right? Totally unintentional. I mismanaged what the entire What kind of property? Is it single family? Ago. That's right. Yeah, it was, it was a single family. My intention was to go in there and just uh, refresh this house, quickly put it back on the market. I mismanaged the demo and wound up with a fully gutted house before I knew it. And ultimately, that was a blessing in disguise. I went on to fully gut renovate that house, the kitchen, the bathrooms, everything. And uh, it yielded me a better ROI than I had modeled originally. And so that kind of just like opened my eyes to the possibilities of these larger value add rehabs. And that's what we went on to do always and ever just incrementally scaling that. So from a cosmetic rehab turned gut rehab to then an addition to then an add a level to then some new construction projects all in the single family space until just recently where we've decided to take that same skill set that core competency, which is um, construction heavy value add type rehabs. And we're applying that to commercial now. So doing our first commercial um, asset. If you can flip a house, you can flip an office building, right? Um, the time, energy, effort, the dollars, it's all commensurate, right? I like to say, but what's different, what's exponential, what's not linear is the ROI. The ROI will be greater on those bigger projects. A lot of folks just don't get into the bigger projects because they're overwhelmed by the the finance, like the financing of the project or just the extent of the, um, of the construction. And so anyway, we've got a good handle on those things and that's how we've scaled it to where we are now. Still doing the cosmetics, still doing the add levels, still doing the new constructions, but now also doing um, these commercial ones. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Obviously we all wanna scale with, with, with growth. Uh, the really important question today given what's going on in the uh, construction indus industry, the massive inflation of, of the cost of materials and labor, mm -hmm. how are you dealing with it? Uh, because whatever you, you try to budget, you have to be prepared that you're going to blow the budget. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have to more than ever, you have to buy right. Because if we're thinking about what the last few years have done, like people have been successful despite themselves, right? People have gotten into rehabs they had no business getting into. They've overpaid. They've mismanaged the timeline. They've blown the budget. And then the market saved their ass, right? Six months later, it sells for more than they had modeled it for. Um, that's, it's been very forgiving. The market's just been that much more forgiving over these last few years. So like, you have to get good now. You just, you have to be good. You have to buy right. You have to manage projects tight right? You can't afford to run over. You can't afford to mistakenly order the wrong size windows. Uh, your lumber's got to be spot on, right? So um, how we're doing it is we're just getting better. We're just getting tighter. All the things that we've done that we've done really, really well and afforded us the ability to scale, we're just doing those things better. And, um, and going back to sellers, and we've never retraded on a seller until COVID hit. It's the first time in uh, five years, six years, I've been doing this where I went back to a seller and said, Mr. Seller, like I made a commitment to buy this from you at this price, but like the world's been flipped on its head. I still intend to honor that commitment to buy this home, but I have to buy it at 10% less. I just have to given where we are in the account, like in the market and sellers were very receptive to that. So we kept working right through COVID. Um, so, I mean, I would just say like sharpen your pencil. If you're out there doing this, continue to do it, be better about it, be tighter. And if you make it work now, you'll be, you'll be set. Uh, it'll only get easier from here. So if you can make it work now, you'll be in good shape. 
Yeah, it's a game of specialization. It's a game of the um, professionals. <laughs> yeah. The, the, it, it kind of the amateurs uh, usually fall fall through the cracks when uh, mm-hmm. it gets you know execution has to get really really tough and tight. So it makes they've gone sense. away. If if you think about it, how many emails were you getting from wholesalers pre-COVID? Right, two three um, emails a day in my inbox to now two or three a week. A lot of those guys have faded. They've gone back to doing whatever it was that they did full time, or uh, or they've gone and gotten jobs. Right? They they weren't conditioned. They weren't ready. And when COVID hit, they just tapped. So um, the ones that were prepared um, have thrived. Not just simply survived. Like we've thrived through this past year plus. Um, so yeah, I, I think speaking to your point about like the professionals, right? Like those that are good continue to get better and are still around. And those that aren't have unfortunately faded away. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. The other question I had, it was a transition. You're transitioning from residential to office. So I'm just curious. So residential is super hot now. I mean, that it's hard to go wrong. Like uh, as if you, you, you alluded to the fact that um, the mistakes get forgiven because the prices continue to escalate, right? It's the... The, the the tides keep rises keep rising all the boats and even if your boat wasn't <laughs> wasn't a great boat now it's still getting the uh, the lift but the uh, the point is um, so residential is projected to be strong and um, demand for for housing uh, versus the supply demand is still far outpaces supply and uh, as a result that whole business is a, it feels pretty solid if you can execute well. But now you're transitioning into office space, and office space really hit or miss. Mm-hmm. For the, and the, what I'm talking about here is that COVID obviously impacted office to a degree. And uh, here in New York, we had a lot of uh, massive vacancies. I mean, we're talking about uh, Manhattan got hit really hard. Um, here in Brooklyn, where I'm at, you see the also substantial vacancy retail or some of the office. Sometimes folks that would have taken retail can go into the office or vice versa, but it's the, the, the supply is still substantial. The demand is recovering, but it's not recovering at the pace you'd like to see. A lot of people are still telecommuting. The need for space has been reduced with technology, the Zoom, the way we're recording this and, and other technologies. So the point is, what are you seeing on the office? Your execution for construction is probably similar. You have to obviously do the work. You have to make sure it's done on budget and time or executed well. But the exit price, or, or, or not even price, being able to lease up the place mm-hmm. uh, could be more challenging today versus the pre-COVID. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think generally speaking, that's, that's correct. I think that there are, um, within that asset class, there's specific niches that do make sense. So if you can carve up um, a larger office space into individual office suites, uh, you're in good shape, right? Folks have been working from home with kids screaming in the background for a year, getting nothing done, freaking out. Uh, they need a breath of fresh air. They need a space that they can, a 12 by 12 box essentially with a window and then a shared common area with a fridge and, and a little galley kitchen. So if you can carve out office suites, that's an option, right? If you can um, retrofit space, that's what we're doing now for medical office or for childcare, there's demand there. That demand continues um, to be strong. So uh, there's niches within the office, the commercial asset office class that makes sense. Uh, 
generally speaking, for the most part, you're, you're spot on. Like th there's no shortage of office space. There's plenty of it and, and there isn't demand to call for all of it. But in these specific niches, there is, uh, at least in our market. And I suspect in a lot of other parts of the country, that's the case too. So if folks are out there, you know, thinking on how, how do I get a foothold in that asset class in commercial? It's, it's something to give some thought to. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, there's an expression, I think it's a book. I, I, I'm just trying to recollect, but I, I think I read it. Or, or, but the title is just is Riches in Niches. So you're right. If it's, mm -hmm. if it's a niche yeah. type of uh, office space, you could, like, like you said, the, the office, small office suite for um, get away from the house, uh, maybe go back to the office and get a little privacy and can do the work. That makes a ton of sense. And you're right, service-oriented businesses still that are coming back, they need small spaces. It, you, it is difficult to lease uh, big space uh, versus the small space. The small space is a lot easier to lease. You get better per square foot. But it is something that has still a degree of uncertainty, and, and you have to uh, you have to be able to execute. Uh, but I, I agree with you. It, it is office space is very segmented. The big office space is probably is going to lose the demand, while the small office space for specific um, niches further will 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 uh, pick up some some momentum. Uh, are you doing anything else beyond the office? Are you doing any industrial, any of that stuff? Or this is, you just shifted from residential to office as, as your next kind of part of the journey? That was the progression. That's where we're at right now. It's not to say that we're not looking at other things, looking at big um, development opportunities, looking at industrial as a way to convert. Um, what we're seeing a lot of here is, is folks taking big industrial spaces and converting them to um, like, Jimborees or uh, basketball or racquetball or uh, things like that. It's a different business model. And I'm not well versed enough to say whether or not that thing will make sense in the long um, run. It's something that some opportunistic investors are looking at and are doing. And so I'm starting in the periphery to kind of pay a little bit more attention. But uh, yeah, it's not my expertise. I don't you know, claim to be what I do know how to do is build. And so if the numbers make sense, we can stand it up. Like from a construction standpoint, there isn't anything I'm not comfortable doing, even if we haven't yet done it. So if someone brings you a deal and the numbers and the model looks good, um, like we're confident that we can stand up a hundred unit um, mixed use, uh, you know, retail on the first floor apartments above, like things like that don't, uh, they're not out of the question. They're things that are in the periphery that we're kind of paying attention to, but nothing in the pipeline, nothing, nothing working just yet. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, so let's kind of uh, break it down a little bit on the construction side. Just, just kind of. Um, so, what I've observed, um, at least kind of recently, the, the, like like you mentioned, the, the prices continue to escalate, and uh, the result of cost overruns get forgiven. Mm -hmm. But how do you? you know, the primary issue is this: the deal flow is very tight. Finding these heavy rehab projects. Um, it's not easy. It's it, it's basically you could find the project, but the price that the sellers want often is just almost cost prohibitive. It's too expensive. So I've seen people shifting into ground up construction as a result, where they can get the land and they control it. They don't have to negotiate with the seller and try to get a property because the if you do it as a kind of as a surgery as a precision, few projects. You could still focus and find a few deals, but if you're trying to pick up any kind of a volume, 
you start running into the problems of not enough inventory, at least at the right price that you can pick up. So you can build in your substantial cost of, you know, increased cost of construction. So are you finding anything interesting in the potential new construction space? Are you still sticking with, let me pick up an, an older property and gut it out and do that? Yeah. Uh, so both, like right now in our pipeline, we've got variations of both of those things happening. Uh, what we've found is as we scaled, as we started to grow and transition into new construction, we didn't completely forget those value add construction heavy rehabs, those gut renos, the add levels and additions. We continue to do those as well. Um, what I liked about transitioning into new construction is that it was cleaner. So it was just simply easier to execute. Um, a lot of that's done on the front end, right? In the uh, project design phase and then executions easier as opposed to those um, rehabs where you're opening up walls and then finding things you hadn't foreseen. Uh, regardless though, what's really helped us and there was a time where you could just pick these deals off the MLS, right? They were just listed and you would just pay whatever the asking price was because you were gonna force appreciation so much that you didn't really have to worry. Um, that's no longer the case to your point. You've got to find deals. You've got to negotiate the deals. Well, um, you've got to find sellers that are motivated, right? They're not just trying to save on commissions. Uh, that's not a deal for us. We can't like, if you just don't want to list with an agent, we're not your buyer. If you're looking to move in two weeks, um, you don't want to have to clean the house out. There's some underlying issues with the house. Those are the types of buyers, sellers that we're looking to, um, work with. But one thing that's served us that I'll share with your audience is as you scale, be mindful of how you can vertically integrate. So you scaling across asset classes, you're still our core competency is still value add construction, heavy rehabs, regardless of what we're doing that too. Um, but vertically, how can we get, how can we um, re realize cost savings uh, with economies of scale? What can we buy in bulk? What can we warehouse and use and draw from? Uh, so material costs are hurting a lot of folks right now. Um, I'll be honest, they're not hurting us quite as bad because we've spent years positioning ourselves as a distributor with a lot of the manufacturers. So we are our own wholesaler. We sell to ourselves, our operations division. My supply company sells to my operations division and to other investors and designers and you know developers and folks in our network. But um, it's something that came about about three, four years ago at the Builders Show in Orlando, as I was walking the convention floor, realizing I was wearing the wrong hat. I was wearing my builder hat. I needed to be wearing my supplier hat and approaching these booths as a supplier, trying to understand the nuances of manufacturer, uh, two-stepper, distributor. There's all this different language, right? Like what that essentially means is that a bunch of middlemen touch it and tack on a little piece. By the time it gets to you, you're being gouged. And especially now, right? Lumber two by fours in uh, our market are $7.50 or whatever they are. They were $2 uh, a year ago. You know, these are the kinds of things that you need. Not that we're a distributor for lumber, right? That's not the account that we were opening, but just something to be mindful of for your audience. Yeah, that's actually a brilliant idea. <laughs> it's great to hear that you got into the uh, distribution business. You basically got, um, into the supply chain, and, and if you can if you can enter the supply chain earlier, you can realize substantial savings 
for yourself and make a little spread if you are um, if you're selling to others. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, I, I we invest with a number of um, uh, larger kind of uh, developers or you know heavy value at um, folks in, in multifamily, and that's what they do. They typically concentrate on a given market. And then they, they have exactly that. They have warehousing. They buy with economy of scale. Mm-hmm. And we have one guy in Indy. We, we have now four projects uh, in, and it's, it's a lot of doors. I mean, one was almost a thousand doors. Mm-hmm. So when you do that kind of economy of scale, you really uh, wind up having your own warehouses. You we wind up buying in substantial bulk. Uh, and again, some stuff you can get discounts, some stuff. Yeah, you could, you know, the price increases if you need to buy more unfortunately mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. so uh any other kind of thoughts on the um how about labor side so so, so materials obviously you know massive inflation as you said from two to seven dollars in one year which is crazy mm-hmm. but um a- any thoughts well i guess two questions one do you see this kind of cooling down a little bit supply chain improving because one of the big problems uh for these massive price escalation is is covid broke supply chain or hurt supply chain mm-hmm. So is it, are you seeing the, the improvement? Are the prices stabilizing or they're still escalating at a pretty good pace? And on the other side, on the labor side, um, are you able to get your workers back because of unemployment benefits? I mean, it's been a big discussion. Construction workers, I don't know, what do they make, 20, 25 an hour? Mm-hmm. And um, maybe a little more 30 to pay me, but it's competing with the government benefits. <laughs> so yeah. are you uh, seeing any of that? So on the labor side, what I'll say is that we are fortunate in that we've got really good relationships with tradesmen, guys that have been with us for a really long time. Another thing I'll say about them, right? And this isn't going to be, um, be controversial, right? Like Americans are lazy generally, and we've come to rely on what the government will provide. The folks that work in the trades, they're not wired that way. They're not from here, right? They came here in search of something more. They're not going to sit home and collect. They want to go to work when they can't go to work, when it rains and the framer and the roofer can't work, those guys are frustrated. So they're out there doing work. Um, Has the cost increased? Sure. They see the same opportunity to, you know, squeeze a bit just like everybody else does because the retail, the end buyer is willing to foot the bill for that. So yeah, prices have ticked up, but are they working? Yeah, they are working. Like they don't have time for Netflix and chill. Like these guys got families to feed here and back home. So my guys work, um, I haven't had that experience here locally. Um, and uh, was the second part of the question about uh, Are you the seeing cost? Yeah, inflation uh, still uh, right. going. Uh, the prices, yeah, they're still going up or stabilizing where the price is finally at least flatlined, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. I think my experience has been that things are starting to kind of level out. Um, I've got opinions on why those things are happening and how much of that is actually supply chain, how much of it is uh, gouging, how much of it, right? Like, I think the mills are still um, putting out wood, right? Uh, Why is it that if like the forestry is still happening, where is that disconnect? What, What happened, right? Like trees didn't go up in price, trees didn't get COVID, right? They're still breaking down trees, they're still milling lumber. Um, it's somewhere in the supply chain. Somebody, I believe, is seeing this as an opportunity to um, to just tighten the screws a bit. And so long as the government keeps making um, dollars, like they just continue to print uh, funny money, there's more at the end of the line that the retail buyer will um, will tolerate. So 
uh, I've never seen so much work taking place through COVID. Everybody's sitting home. They're getting tired of staring at their dated kitchen or their backyard and they're redoing their patios. They're redoing their kitchens. They're putting in pools in my neighborhood. I've never seen so many pools go in. So like, and that retail, that end buyer has a lot of free money, has a lot of really cheap money to spend. So why not? Why would the mills, why not? Why would um, the PVC and, and, and all those guys, why would they not like ratchet up the price they can, right? And the end buyer will um, absorb it for now. At some point that likely stops. When the printing stops, I suspect that's all gonna stop. But for now, I feel like it's leveled out a bit. Um, that's just what I'm seeing. Yeah, a couple of really interesting points. I, I, I kind of, uh, I see a point, I mean, being an immigrant myself, um, it's a cultural thing. I, I, I don't want to make any negative statements about people are born here. We have a lot of great hardworking folks. Mm-hmm. And, but uh, you're right, culturally, it is um, kind of immigrant culture. You come here to work, you, you come here to make a, you know, make a country for yourself. And, and you come from another country where things are a whole lot worse. And I know it firsthand. Um, so culturally, definitely immigrants feel like they, uh, they want to work. They, they want to work. They want to make, make a living. And again, nothing to say about American-born. Uh, a lot of you know, super bright people here. And it's just um, it feels like the um, <laughs> immigrants generally don't come with any kind of request for entitlements. So, uh, no, no, they want to work. I mean, I, I feel um, when the weather isn't with us and guys can't work, we feel it too, right? We, like, they're disappointed. They're sitting home. Um, they'd they'd want to be up on the roof they want to be like standing up houses um when they can't they're frustrated and i don't know that that's the case with a lot of other folks and whatever we're not making statements about like who is and who isn't lazy but like with regard to labor uh labor is out there uh, again you will be paying a slight premium because retail is willing to absorb that premium so if they can get a retail kitchen they're going to go do that right versus doing your like as an investor or developer like you're looking for the builder price, they're looking to make the retail price. And while they can, I encourage my guys to go do that, right? If you can go make some money, go make some money. Just remember who keeps you busy in the winter, um, right? The winter, when winter comes, who's there? We are, we're always working and retail won't always be there. So that's that's a way to kind of approach that conversation if folks are struggling with, with the labor piece, that's a way to kind of look at it and think through it. <laughs> Yeah, long-term relationships do matter, obviously, and you're right. <laughs> I like the winter expression. When the winter is, is here, especially in the Northeast, you know, the number of jobs kind of falls a lot. And, and as a result, that they still need to stay busy. So it makes a ton of sense. Gabe, appreciate your wisdom. This was great. Um, any parting thoughts? If uh, folks wanted to reach out, uh, chat with you, if you're available, what's the best way to uh, get a hold of you? Yeah, uh, so I'm on all the socials. Uh, at Real Gabe De Silva, that's my handle. They can connect with me there. I still field and um, reply to all of my own messages, so I'm happy to connect with anyone who wants to reach out to me there. And if they want to kind of dive into our world and see what we're up to, um, my website GabeDeSilva.com is a great place to start. From there, I'd suggest linking through to the Build um, on YouTube. It's a docu series uh, we created. We had some videographers kind of follow us around like running and gunning day in the life type um, docu-series so they could see what it is to actually be a real estate investor, developer, educator, like in today's market. Um, So I get a lot of really great feedback. So I encourage people to go there. It's free. It's obviously it's on YouTube. Go watch. It's a 16 episode series called The Build. Um, So anyway, yeah, happy to 
connect with anyone on anything, um, find, fund, fix, flip. Like if you need help with anything, please don't hesitate to uh, connect with us. Thank you, Gabe. I really appreciate your generosity and your sharing. And uh, if I get a chance, I'll try to watch the build on YouTube. So thank you and and, uh, have a great day and uh, enjoy the weather. Anyway, you do. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fund Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fund book, head to BigMikeFund.com or visit Amazon and type Mike's slot name. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.